It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Chadwick Boseman, you know, is someone who I didn't grow up, obviously, looking up to him or anything like that. I think we were both very similar ages, but he's someone who, as his careers kind of came to fruition after such a long journey, I think he just held themselves with such kind of dignity and such a moral compass, so particular about his choices and so clear-eyed about what success means and how you need to define success on your own terms, how success is tied in with you fulfilling your purpose rather than kind of meeting external expectations of what it looks like. And uh, I don't know, I think that's, I think he's, some of his words and some of his work will really live on for a generation of people. When Riz Ahmed is asked to name a performer who has influenced and inspired him, the names that come to mind include a contemporary of his, whom we recently lost, Chadwick Boseman. I'm Janelle Riley. On this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talked to Riz Ahmed about his new film, Sound of Metal. Ahmed talks about what he had to learn to take on the role of a drummer who loses his hearing. He also addresses the importance of representation and the Riz test. Additionally, on this episode, director Sofia Coppola speaks about her film On the Rocks. But first, our awards roundtable tackles the supporting actor Oscar race and early reactions of contender Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's all on Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, and welcome to Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. I'm the film awards editor here, Clayton Davis, today with Janelle Riley. Hello. Jazz Tanke. Hello. And the master of the universe, Michael Schneider. <laughs> I've been upgraded. I'm yeah. really starting yeah. to get a little hurt by the, <laughs> I, I, the nice quality titles you give Mike Schneider. It's just about the order of things. The order always just comes naturally. They just come mm, with Michael Schneider. It just works how out convenient. that way. Works well. Janelle and I never get any. Nope. I mean, it's also because nope, no he's, he's, he's very similar to Dolph Lundgren. That's what it is. It's like such a keen similarity. Master of the universe is he, man. Okay, yeah, then I'll be Skeletor. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 can be- I can bench. I can bench just like Dolph Lundgren as well. So, Skeletor, Frank Langella, our second episode. Nice little connection. It all there. comes there. full circle. It does all come full circle. Nice well, save. Nice save, yeah. Clayton. <laughs> no problem. Well, let's, next week, Clayton. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll mix the, uh, the the order next week. Yeah. So as, as we get ready for, for Thanksgiving, everyone. Sure. Um, 
here's something to be thankful for. There's a transition right there. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful. Uh, uh, We can finally talk about Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom, which is one of the most anticipated films of this season. And and of course, uh, even more notable for being one of the final vehicles for Chadwick Boseman. Uh, So now the uh, embargo has been lifted and it it sounds like the, the hype is justified. Clayton, tell us more. Uh, social embargo has lifted. This social embargo. Social embargo because we because we're, that we're social, is, right? It's it's a Twitter sphere, <laughs> and then and then uh, people like myself did the awards chances. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. It is. I, I I feel like it's very important to say this. I think he would have been in the conversation. Of whether, course, it's if, ridiculous if he was here to think or not. I need to clear that up nice yes. and early. Thank you. Because I I can hear, I can I can read them already. The headlines. From certain people is um, anyone actually saying that because uh, I, I feel like i see it's one of those things where i see people responding saying like people who are saying this and i'm like are people really saying that because they clearly haven't seen the movie he I, is I, saw, I saw some stuff early on when i started doing uh oscar predictions early before right. any of us had seen it um and it was been it's been a torture by the way sitting on this for so long about like you know the the film but, oh, you poor thing! I know it, it is because because yes. you, you want to tell people like shut up, you haven't seen the movie, yeah, and then they'll be like, but you haven't either. But like, well, I have. Um, no, Chadwick Boseman. It's the performance of of his career. It's everything that he would have done, has done in film. I think it's a magnificent uh, turn for him. And I wish I would have saw it before he passed because I think that context of knowing that he's not here anymore. Um, Obviously, the easiest thing to grab onto is like he must have known this was going to be his last movie because he lays everything out mm. there. Um, but yeah, but he lays everything out in every performance. In, in every performance, makes but him I, so but, great. Yeah, yeah. but I, I guess that that poignancy, I guess, is just like so apparent there. But I, but I think he, I think he's marvelous. Uh, Viola Davis, I think, is very very good. Um, borderline, she's great actually. Um, I think the big talk that's been emerging from the Twitter sphere is if she is in fact the lead or not. I am actually of the of the thinking that it's an ensemble piece and they're all supporting. I mean, it's I, certainly I not ensemble. category fraud to put Viola or Chadwick in lead, but yeah. I, I feel if they had gone supporting, there wouldn't have been an argument. Yeah. It is a great ensemble movie. Oh, sure. everyone in it is so good. Everybody. I love me some Glenn Turman so much. Yeah. Like Coleman Domingo. So Coleman Domingo's great yeah. too. Michael yeah. Potts, yeah. Jazz, your thoughts? No, I was going to say, I think, um, you know, watching that on Saturday night when we screened it, um, I I would have liked to have seen it without knowing that Chadwick had passed. But, A, I agree, no matter what, he would have been in this conversation. I just think his delivery of those monologues was so powerful. Like, it, it's just like he was just on this up, tr- upward trajectory of, like, it just got better and better and better. And by the end, you're like in tears or you're just blown away because he's such a class act. And it was, it's like, you know, he had it. And then you walk away thinking, what else could he have given us? Like what other movies and like, where could his career have gone? But yeah, I mean, by the way, the guest on this week's impeccable. The guest on this week's podcast is Riz Ahmed. And when I asked him who some of his influences were, he gave the most beautiful tribute to Chadwick Mm -hmm. Boseman. Mm -hmm. Because Riz Ahmed is the man. 
He's mm-hmm. fantastic. Also great in Sound of Metal. Uh, but also, I, th- I think also, because I think what the people really want to hear, uh, is he going to be the new Peter Finch? Only two actors have ever won Oscars posthumously. Uh, Peter Finch for Network and Heath Ledger uh, for The Dark Knight uh, in 2008. And I can't say that definitively. Anthony Hopkins is so fantastic in The Father. Mm -hmm. And I think think undoubtedly it will be one of those two. I agree. That's Mm -hmm. what I feel very strongly about. So either way, we win. We all win as a film-watching society. Um, But I I would... uh, Other questions have come up like, do you think like this helps him for the five bloods. Like would they give it to him there instead of this? And I was like, I was like, first Oscars don't think that way. And and second, Mm -hmm. it would be really distasteful. I think to give it to him for the five bloods, knowing what he gives in Ma Rainey. Cause they're like, like they're like night and day. Uh, I mean, the only time I've ever really, people talk about that. The only time I could ever think that someone was rewarded for another performance was Alicia Vikander. When mm. she won for the Danish girl, but she also yeah. had, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of her? Uh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. I kept trying yeah. to say Vox Lux. Um, yeah. She had Ex Machina out the same. I think it it doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, it helps but I, I agree. They yeah. don't, that's that's not how they think. I'll say something controversial. Mike, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I think Matthew McConaughey won an Oscar for True Detective. I think he won for Magic Mike in many mm. ways because <laughs> that came out the year before and people mm. were like, you know, it, it all helps. It yeah. all helps. The year Michael Douglas won, he had Fatal Attraction and Wall Street. You know. Oh, yeah. 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 No, but you're you're absolutely right about McConaughey. Um, going back to this uh, supporting cast on Ma Rainey, uh, Coleman Domingo is someone who, uh, you know, I, I I got to know watching on Fear the Walking Dead, and mm. uh, and and he now he does this uh, uh, streaming show for A and uh, AMC where it's uh, cocktails with Coleman uh, during that. the quarantine. Uh, it's, and it's it's a lot of fun uh, if if you uh, you know just want to spend some time watching Coleman Domingo mix drinks with uh, his celebrity friends. It's a lot of fun as well. And then Can Glenn we get Stanley Tur- Tucci on that with him? Uh, that would be I'm, awesome. I'm sure he has. Maybe he has. Uh, and Glenn Turman uh, is on Fargo right now, season four. Uh, and of course, can't forget uh, a different world. Shout out to Glenn Turman. Wow, that's going I way back. I think I fell in love it. with Mike Schneider right now. That is so great. You brought up a different world. <laughs> oh my God, like you weren't in love before already. Uh, I know, but like God, oh, a different please. world. A different world. Master of the universe, the, Michael Schneider. Oh man. He I knew he was going to say that. that. Today. Different world is the ish. I love it. <laughs> uh, another project I know you guys wanted to talk about. Funny enough, there was a HBO series called Run earlier uh, this year. So I'm always confused when you all bring up Run because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking it's that. But no. Uh, <laughs> oh. Uh, Sarah Paulson, who apparently, like, I don't know when she has time to do 20 projects. But... Well, first, I guess we should call this one Good Run. Um, in order to specify between the two. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a thriller from the filmmaker who did Searching, which was another great uh, high concepts thriller. Um, and the young actress who plays opposite Sarah Paulson, Kira Allen, uh, I'll have a profile out on her this week. She's just fantastic. I saw some people say, I came to this movie for Sarah Paulson and I left a Kira Allen fan. Mm. And uh, she uses a wheelchair in real life. It was very important that they uh, cast someone who um, actually, because the character is, I sort of see it as Sarah Paulson's misery. She's basically keeping her daughter, you know, captive in her home. And, you know, maybe she's sick, maybe she's not. It's it's actually really brilliant how it sort of 
plays with our ideas and perceptions. But yeah, Kira Allen is definitely one to watch. Hmm. I like, the, I like the sound. I mean, listen, Sarah Paulson can do no wrong. So I'm always, uh, and by the way, no shade to Merritt Weaver, by the way, run the show was. Oh, both part, actors are yeah. brilliant. But I, yeah. that's what I'm Merritt oh, Weaver in the other run, the bad run. Yeah. But she, she's <laughs> not the problem with that show. Cause no, we love, neither we was Don Gleason. She's perfection. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I haven't, I'm going to make some time for run. See Janelle Riley. See, I may give Mike Schneider all the praise, but Janelle Riley's one who inspires me to watch. All really have you seen working man yet i i, I am going to watch it literally today <laughs> I, because i was on a i was on a jury panel so i had to get in like 10 docs over the weekend but today is working man day amazing i have to say i saw run because of janelle riley and because of janelle See? riley there is an artisan's piece going in this week's issue on the cinematography mm. because of how they frame that film and from her point of view um janelle riley very, inspiration The weird thing is I remember recommending the movie to Jazz as I was working out on the elliptical. This is such like a vivid memory (laughs) because you called me and I'm on the elliptical. I'm like, you have to see this movie. Run. (laughs) I'm going to give Janelle Riley a shout out right now because even though people listening can't see this, her pen matches her shirt. It's a like, <laughs> and oh, my no. background <laughs> and my headband. God, I am so OCD. Yeah, yeah. Janelle's coordinated. Love and she's eyeliner. on the and she's also on the elliptical right now. She just doesn't stop. She's just always <laughs> like delivering. That is absolutely not true. I give that thing maybe half an hour a day, and I hate every second of it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I, I, I and run. It's going to be on. It's on Hulu. It's coming to Hulu. Hulu. This week. This week. So yeah. make sure you make time for it. All right. Uh, supporting actor. Do you want to talk about that? Since we kind of touched on Glenn Turman, Coleman Domingo, uh, and where they kind of stand in the landscape here. Do you think there is a supporting actor that comes out of Ma Rainey? I think they're just, it's just such an ensemble film. They're yeah. all so good. It would be so hard to pick one. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think that's tough. But, then what would set that apart from what sets Trial of Chicago 7 and One Night in Miami apart then? Right? Uh, uh, well, I think they have the same problem, although, yeah. you know, there's there's certain moments you can point to where uh, people in like Trial of Chicago 7 like get a moment or something when that, that really pops. Yeah. That I and can... I, think, I think the big difference is also Trial of Chicago 7, I think it, it's a, I guess it's a good problem to have. That everyone is good. There's not like a weak a weak link that really stands mm-hmm. out. One night in Miami, they split them up in category submissions for Oscars. Mm-hmm. So Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. and Aldous Hodge will be supporting. Kingsley Benadir and Eli Gorey will be submitted lead. And I think Leslie Odom looks really good for a nomination right now today. Uh, again, it's November and we don't <laughs> things change at the drop of a hat. Um, but everyone's going to be looking for their. Uh, they're kind of avenue, but there's a lot of ensembles looking for standouts. And the big uh, thing that people go to is spotlight. You know, Mark Ruffalo yeah. ended up with the nomination, but it took a while to get there and it was looking not it good did. for a second. You it know, did. it was all about Michael Keaton. At well, first. And, yeah. I, I, and I think yeah. what really threw people off that year, if anyone recalls, New York Film Critics Circle gave Michael Keaton best actor, yep. not supporting actor, threw yeah. everything in flux. And then no one got nominated at the Globes. And I think just McAdams got nominated at SAG. So there were no guys there, but then Ruffalo got BAFTA and then ended up coming through at the end. So it gets uh, tricky on, on those things. Charles Chicago 7, you know, right now it looks like 
Sasha Baron Cohen may be the representation, quote unquote, but that, never that count could, out Mark Rylance. Never yeah. Mark Rylance. Don't count, yeah. And, and everyone and everyone again, everyone's good in it. You know, I think Yaya will get some votes. I think Frank Langella is getting votes. Oh, it's Frank Langella's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and so he's when, not one of the Chicago Seven, so you can kind of like point to him as the yeah. outsider. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of a problem is uh, canceling each other out? So you, you mentioned Rylance, uh, Cohen, Yaya. Uh, it, it's it's they're they're all sort of uh, one, two, three punched. Is there a chance that they all cancel each other out, or does one manage to sneak in, or, or a number of them? Yeah, I think I think they can all cancel each other out. The uh, I think everyone feels like two could get in, or maybe even three. Um, as of late, Oscar has been double dipping for um, for for the guys and supporting actor. They didn't they did it with Bugsy, and then there was a big gap, and then they did it for uh, three billboards with Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell. For three people to get in, which some people have brought up, the last time three supporting actors made it was The Godfather. Wow. So, and I don't think that we're this this category is very very competitive. Uh, this year so i wouldn't bank on that so i think it's going to be i feel right now it's one or none i just I, don't know who the one's gonna i be. think yeah. you're right yeah i just don't know who it will be yeah uh still also, come back also, to us in yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also I, ju- I just broke last week stanley tucci will be going supporting for supernova and i think that's your front runner and mm-hmm. i think i think it's one of the front runners right. yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm up like susan stanley tucci is one of those actors no one's going to be like don't give stanley tucci an oscar everyone yeah. will applaud a move such as that. And he's fantastic in, in he's the film as well. He's so good in the movie. He's yeah. so beloved. In a weird way, even though he only has one previous nomination, he's kind of overdue. Oh, like, he definitely is. Yeah. yeah. yeah the man's first of all, he turned delight. 60 this year. I had no idea he was 60. Like He's just one of those that I felt like was kind of timeless. I was like, yeah, he's 45. Yeah. And then I realized how close I am now, and I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and as you all referenced earlier, he's been our quarantine cocktail guru. So he's, he's helped us <laughs> yeah. through some tough he's, times this year. So shout out yeah. to Stanley Tucci. Yeah. He's been in the spotlight. I think Bill Murray could sneak in, though, I feel, maybe. You yeah. know, it's the same. People love him. Oh, also, over, like- also overdue. He needs the campaign, though. That's, well, that's the thing. I don't think he's going to do any campaigning to, yeah. in a, a year this tough. I want you know. I wonder if that'll affect him. Um, Clayton, I noticed you had David Strathairn on mm-hmm. your uh, top yeah. five, and I really hope that works out. He's so beautiful in Nomadland. Yeah. It's like a quiet performance, but I mean, is there a better actor working today? All, all, than David also Strathairn? overdue. Only one yeah. nomination. We have all these one nomination no. guys yeah. that like are, are coming back to seal the deal. Uh, Strathairn, uh, my comparison at the time, uh, when I saw it, his nomination could feel like Catherine Keener and Capote, like, Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of a ride in with someone else. And he's good. And he has the quote unquote scene that, that does it for him, but he is on the smaller and he's a real supporting performance. Go figure. You know, and and supporting actor. Uh, so I wonder how that, that will shake out for him. Can Uh, I push... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, please. No, no, no. Oh, can I push two people who I, I there's I think there's a little talk about them, but there there should be major buzz. They should be sorry to use this word locks for a nomination. Um, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal. Yeah, such a beautiful performance. Um, he sort of runs the the deaf community that Riz Ahmed uh, goes to stay in, and uh, he is deaf or you know hard of hearing in real life and just a beautiful amazing performance and yeah i'm gonna bring up working man again and say that billy brown 
critics need to get on this performance and support it because it's yeah. one of the best of the year and uh it's it's frustrating to see that it's going unacknowledged yeah. you're not the first person that's brought up paul paul racy like he's come up yeah. a lot like in just conversations I've, I've been having and at some point like i feel like it's gonna start spilling over to everyone else and they're gonna yeah. be like you know cause I, think I hope make time, so they're gonna make time for the movie because they're gonna watch yeah. it you know for riz and then you much like you said about run you walk in for riz maybe you come out uh paul racy you know fan and riz is great too by the way um, uh, the whole cast is great yeah. that movie is incredible yes. yeah i really love that movie uh, um, good. Uh, Lake- Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Have we we haven't seen it yet, right? Uh, I have not. I have. I can't really okay. speak to it, but I don't think he will end up in supporting. Ah, okay. there you go. I think I think Daniel Kaluuya will end up in supporting, but oh, I don't fantastic. know that. I don't know that for sure. What about uh, what about your mank? You got. Uh, I think I saw Charles Dance was uh, a name floating around. Oh, yep. The Mank Boys. Uh, yeah, I think Charles Dance will be the one that, again, multiple people in a film. Um, depending on where you fall with with Mank, I think it's where your favorite performance is. But I think Dance is the one that will have the best chance. Not that I meant to, for that to rhyme. Uh, but I, I think Arliss Howard is so is so the best good. part of it, so and, I, and, I, and I'm going to be really upset if it's just not him. Um, actually, I need to bring up something. I think I think it's almost known, but hasn't been official. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'll break it by the time this airs. Shia LaBeouf and Pieces of a Woman. Very good. Yes, so good. Just screened really. for for critics at large last week. Um, really. Great performance. I think he's going to end up going supporting, as he should. Um, I did see someone bring up there is a, I don't say it's a prejudice or like a hindrance or whatever. He does go full frontal in the film. And everyone brings up Harvey Keitel as the example from the piano of like people who go full frontal don't get nominated. But then I said, and and they bring up Michael Fassbender. But then I'm like, but we did get Vigo at some point for Eastern Promises. So it just yes. depends. Uh, I guess it depends on your movie. Uh, I'm so glad. Sorry. I'm so glad you gave Shia a shout yeah. out because that performance is so good. It's just powerful and intense. And the way they show him dealing with, I'm trying not to spoil it, but. I mean, it's, dealing with, with, grief. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, grief. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing with grief. It's just something we don't see that often and just how he captured it just gave me goosebumps. So I'm glad you gave him a shout out. Yeah. Can I um, sidetrack for a funny full frontal story? Love it. Um, (laughs) I remember. So I remember Viggo Mortensen told this story during press for Eastern Promises where he and David Cronenberg had an agreement that no matter what the other one said, how crazy it was, they would just agree with it. So they were at some press conference. I want to say it was in Spain. And someone said, David, what did you learn about working with Vigo this time that you didn't know from working with him on History of Violence? And I guess Cronenberg said with total seriousness, he's like, well, you know, when we had to do that frontal, full frontal scene in the bathhouse, I I was surprised to learn that uh, Vigo Mortensen has no genitalia. And we had to, uh, uh, you know, put it in with special effects. And apparently Vigo said he just like, you know, nodded. 
because he had agreed to agree with everything. <laughs> and like most people thought it, got it was a joke, but apparently there was like one person or site mm. that like reported it as fact. Oh, God. <laughs> you can edit There's that out if you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the part. Um, There's always one. Yeah, uh, just one more shout out on a small performance that like I think is going to sh- struggle to even be seen. But I still think Billy Crystal is Thank you. so great in standing up falling He's down. He's really good. And I feel like Billy Crystal for a long time was trying to get an Oscar nomination and doing these roles that like felt, you know, he was he was trying to hit all the right notes and tick all yeah. the right boxes. And this is just a sweet little indie movie. Um, ben Schwartz playing a stand-up comedian who returns home. Weirdly, Billy Crystal does not play a stand-up comedian. He plays like a dentist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, dentist, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and, he's, and a very and he's heartbreaking wonderful. dentist. Like it is, I, yeah. I think it may be his best work, like performance-wise. Like close, it's close. Yeah. It's, it's up close. There. Yeah, it's it's in the top two. Let me put yeah. it that way. When and, Harry met Sally, yeah. you, uh, yes, yeah, of that, course. I, I, I think it's appropriate. So it's up there. And I'm just gonna throw out um, since you mentioned a couple of the Mank boys, I also love Tom Pelfrey. Um, and here's, a, here's, I guess, what would be a long shot, but I just think is one of the breakouts of the year. Alan S. Kim in Minari. I think he's good for a SAG she, nomination. Yeah. Because they always pick kids sometimes. And even if he's it doesn't wonderful. translate in the end, he's really, he's really great in it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, oh, Will Patton's great in Minari also. I, I, I was thinking for a while that we're all sleeping on Will Patton at some we point. We might be. And I, and I feel like his moment is bubbling somewhere. Mm-hmm. I wonder, but but now Minari's going to come out before the end of the year in theaters. Air quotes, <laughs> whatever. That, that the Minari like. love, yeah. And, We're the Minari hive, <laughs> yeah. And I'll, and I'll and also hive. say, and I'll say this because it's just interesting. If it, only for people who saw the movie, I hate how much I like Bo Burnham in Promising Young Woman because oh. of the character. Yeah, yeah. No, he's so good. I know, he's, I, and it's I, such a tricky role. I know. Mad respect. I love Bo Burnham though. Very tall man in real life. Very tall. He's um, really tall. Really yeah. unfair that he's so good at so many things. Mm, yeah, he is very, very good in Promising Young Woman. As soon as you mentioned his name and you the film, and it's like yeah. all those images. That's how good this film is. Yeah, yeah. like they, it just stays with you. Like Carrie yep. and Bo. And actually just wrapping up supporting actor, uh for Mike, I learned recently, and I think you can confirm this, uh, because we have Globes and SAG. Uh next week SAG submissions are due and done. Yep, uh, all submissions have to be done by next Friday, I believe, at this time of recording. Uh one show we will not see there was already submitted last year, so we have to clear this up. Watchmen will not be there. Yeah, and I think part of the confusion for, for people is that it was completely snubbed by the Globes last year. Yep. So that's why, and, mm-hmm. and then it went on to dominate the Emmys, so a lot of people probably still assume, oh, since we didn't see it at all at the Globes last year, it's eligible this year. Nope, it's a calendar uh, eligibility period there, and uh, they missed their chance. They they they, they the, really that, did. At HFPA, they uh, somehow just completely missed the boat and didn't uh, didn't honor Regina or or anyone involved with uh, that that landmark show. Which you know they're bad. They blew it. They blew it. So they it will catch it. So did SAG. Yeah, yeah. So wow, yeah, it it is completed its uh, awards run. So, um, yeah, yeah. Shame. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Watchmen, because for now at least <laughs> there's still no, not another season. I mean, yeah. 
we uh, up and down we've been begging damon lindelof come on dude and he's like nope i'm done maybe someone else will take uh take it up uh some some sometime down the road but he is he has moved on uh preview i interview regina king for upcoming episode on the podcast and she and i ask her would she do watchmen if damon came and she gives a very interesting answer Ah, great now we have to wait a couple weeks for that yeah (laughs) i mean obviously obviously they also were a fantastic team on uh, the leftovers so yes they 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 have a great relationship and is it regina's just the best right and yeah she's just Just, when when she came on the interview i address i address her as her majesty like I said, like, that's it, how she like, should be addressed. I, I give her her respect. Uh, and shout out to Janelle Riley for a fantastic side, just side note, bonus episode uh, yes. with Maria Bakalova on Borat's subsequent oh, movie film. Such a delight. And I think it'll be announced by the time this comes out. She's one of our 10 actors to watch this year. Uh, she's so wonderful. Um, and huge, huge shout out to Michael Schneider for putting that together. Um, seconds. Yeah, yeah. The bonus <laughs> episodes are great, but then people actually have to put them together. <laughs> well, it was it was a delight, Janelle. That was a fun one to listen to and, and a great interview. So yeah, if if you haven't, go back, check your uh, your queue. Uh, you had a bonus episode in your uh, award circuit podcast queue last week, so do check yeah. that out. So I, I listened intently to that interview because I'm waiting for like because me and Janelle have spoken about this offline. Like we were just like we're getting punked. Like something, it's like something is off. <laughs> like we're like there's just, we're just all just gonna get pranked in the end. And <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to look for context clues, man. I'm just not doing well at it. So right right we'll who, who is it really who is really who are you it's gonna Bacalova. she's gonna do an american accent out of nowhere it's gonna be like crazy <laughs> she's gonna be janelle's cousin from oregon <laughs> yeah <laughs> clearly that's that's an oregon accent <laughs> yeah. yeah that'll be the opposite yeah the, the ultimate punk um she'll yep. she'll reveal it on oscar night when she's nominated <laughs> takes takes maybe, the mask maybe. off and it's uh Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, exactly. Or, or what was her name? Seishin Littlefeather? Littlefeather? Like uh, the one who accepted for Marlon Brando when that's he won? That's a deep dive. That uh, is deep. That's wow, the that's back. Deep, yeah. deep cut from Clayton. All right. On, on that note, <laughs> I think uh, we leave it there and we yep. move on to uh, the, the rest of the, the, the day. Riz. Riz Ahmed's up next. Yes. Delightful. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. See you next week. Thanks, time. guys. Bye. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Janelle Riley. Sound of Metal comes from co-writer and director Darius Martyr in his feature directorial debut. It stars Riz Ahmed as Reuben Stone, a drummer and recovering junkie who begins to struggle with hearing loss and learns a new way of living in a deaf community. Olivia Cook plays Lou, Reuben's girlfriend and guitarist in their band, Black Gammon. It's Lou who understands what's happening to Reuben and takes him to a small deaf commune in the country overseen by Joe, a Vietnam veteran played by Paul Racy, who teaches Ruben about living with deafness. I can't hear you, do you understand me? I can't, I'm deaf! I found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're in for me, Lou, you're my part, you're in for me. Okay, you gotta wait for me. Trying to save my life. Ruben, the world does keep moving, it can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness, that place will never abandon you. 
The role hit home for Ahmed, who also performs as rapper Riz MC. To portray Ruben, Ahmed spent seven months learning American Sign Language and also how to drum, all to shoot the film in four weeks. Ahmed may best be known for the 2017 limited series The Night Of, which earned him an Emmy, making him the first Asian male to land that prize in a key acting category. Ahmed's stature inspired the Riz Test, which lists five criteria to measure how Muslims are portrayed in entertainment. I recently spoke to Ahmed about Sound of Metal, on-screen representation, and his career influences, among other things. But I began the conversation by noting that I last saw him right before the pandemic lockdown. It's been a challenging time, I think, for a lot of people, having their daily routines and work kind of put on hold. We often kind of define ourselves through this, um, through these things that actually it turns out are kind of just really contingent and circumstantial. And so, you know, you're kind of left facing the void. If you're lucky enough to not be a key worker who's on the front line, then I think a lot of people are kind of left in this purgatory and this kind of limbo. And yeah, I found that difficult um, for sure. Someone who's used to being kind of like, go, go, go and always doing stuff. Um, but also at the same time, I guess it's been a really good opportunity to reflect and think about why we're always go, 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 or what, what really matters or where should we be putting our energy? You know, 2020 has been one of those years. I think no one's going to emerge from it quite the same. And, and I hope that we emerge from it, you know, with some, uh, some new ideas about how we can all move forward as, as individuals and as a society, you know, it's, it's one, been one to remember. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if we learn nothing from this, that would be really depressing. It, it would. It might also not be that surprising, um, <laughs> given our track record with learning lessons. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it does feel like one of those um, one of those things where it's like you're, you know, particularly with all the suffering that there's been and, you know, losing family members and all that kind of stuff. It does kind of reconnect you to what really matters or what should really matter. So hopefully we move forward with more of that energy. Has it been good creatively at all? Because when it first started, a lot of people were like, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a pandemic. And I felt like there was this pressure to accomplish a lot creatively. And, you know, it, it, I, I've done some things, but I almost feel like the pressure to do more. And, and then I realized just sort of getting through every day is an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's it's really, really true. And I think it's something that a lot of people realized is like, what do we think of as worthwhile you know is it being economically productive or is it also connecting to yourself a bit more connecting to loved ones a bit more um you know why do we place such value on stuff that actually in the in the grand scheme of things can often mean so little and i'm, and I'm talking not about putting food on the table and taking care of your family of course that's important and so many people have I've had that ability taken away from them and that's devastating. I'm thinking more about, as you said, kind of accomplishing things, achieving things, garnering that kind of validation. Like for what, you know, when it's all said and done, I feel like the things that, that I really realize matter are, you know, family and, and our well-being, and how both of those and our well-being is very much interconnected. So it kind of like, um, you know, c c connecting to others is something that I think has been more important. So, so yeah, I mean, I kind of put that pressure on myself at the start of the lockdown. And then I kind of took my foot off the pedal from that and thought maybe 
you know, getting through the day um, healthily is is an achievement in itself. And and strangely, you know, once I did that, I started becoming more creative. So, yeah. In many ways, I feel like Sound of Metal is kind of the perfect movie for, for, for this time because it is about somebody who has to adapt, you know, and learn yeah. an entire new way of life. And I, I have not been secretive about this at all. I love, love, love this movie. Um, I'm so curious how the script found its way to you and sort of what your initial response was. Yeah, it just found its way to me. I think I was promoting uh, Venom or something in, in LA or no, I was... Um, I think it may have been around the time of the of the Emmys, just after the Emmys, when I was sticking around in LA. And my Wait, sorry to clarify, was, right after you won the Emmy? Uh, yeah, right, yes, just after that. And so I guess I was this, this kind of thing of like, wow, okay, well, cool, that was unexpected. What, what should I do next? And I really wanted to do something that would be very challenging. Um, I wanted to do something small and intimate, um, having done, you know, the bigger TV show, The Night Of, and... Um, having made a couple of studio movies, I thought they were brilliant experiences. I think it's really important you kind of, you know, keep lots of different muscles working. And working on an indie film is is just a different thing creatively. You know, it's um, I think of working on those bigger studio movies as kind of babysitting for someone else. And I think of making an indie movie as having a baby with someone. You know, you kind of really put all of yourself into it, and it, you have to go there. And it's, you know, it's it can be a very vulnerable uh, experience, you know, because you don't have a lot of those safety nets. So I wanted to do something like that. Script found me, and and I, I loved it. Met Darius, and as I'm sure you you can uh, agree, he's a really special guy. He just leads with such compassion and energy, and wears his heart on his sleeve, and. And when he kind of threw down the gauntlet and said, well, look, I'm glad you like the script, but, you know, everything's going to be for real. When you're playing your drums on screen, you're going to be really playing the drums. And, um, you know, there's American Sign Language to learn as well because the character becomes fluent at one point. And, and actually where I was at in my headspace at that time, that just felt really exciting to me. So I jumped in without looking. And then once I did get a chance to look, I was terrified. And I was like, what the hell have I signed up to? And it was... Um, a seventh seven month process of prep learning those two skills among other things and and um for a four week shoot so it was this kind of uh you know sp spend most of a year preparing something and then you get two takes at it uh kind of thing um which was so invigorating and so scary but just a very enriching experience going on that journey it, it really i think we all walked away from that project feeling like it changed us a bit I mean, as a rapper, um, which I consider, I don't know if you consider that a musician. I do. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, we've had this conversation before, so I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> but uh, a character like this, that has to be a huge fear. I mean, you know, the idea of, of, of losing one of your senses. Um, I'm sure that you could relate to the fear that, that Ruben has. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of us as artists, we kind of have this fear, right? that um, we might not be able to continue doing what we love, you know? And I think, again, the, pan the pandemic is something that has really accentuated that, made that a reality for lots of people. Um, you know, I at various stages have wondered whether I'd be able to continue making music or act 
for, for whatever reasons, personal reasons, health reasons, sometimes exhaustion or, you know, stress or uh, financial reasons, you know, thinking, how can I, can I, you know, really make a living out of this at different points in my career? And, and actually, um, it, it's something that I was kind of able to, to, to tap into, um, you know, Ruben in many ways is, you know, it's very different to me, but I think part of the message of the film really is that underneath all those circumstantial differences between hearing and deaf or between me and Ruben, there's, there's this core of humanity that we all share, you know, and that's, that's who we, who we really are. So, so yeah, I was able to kind of find an access point into Ruben through, I guess, some of my own fears and questions around, around that, you know. Uh, I want to talk some more about the preparation because so so you had no experience drumming before this movie. No, I had no experience drumming uh, at all. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that rapping and drumming are two very different things. My drum teacher, uh, yeah, after like my first session, is like you've got rhythm, but we need to work on everything else. Um, so that was that was interesting. It, it was very psychological, actually, playing the drums. I mean, it's very technical and an athletic, explosive instrument, um, you know, but you can't think your way to playing the drums. You have, kind of have to let them play you. You have to kind of surrender to them. And in that, I think that it, it opened me up in new ways. It made me step outside of my thinking mind and step more into my body. And, and I think that's... That, that kind of thing informed the performance and actually kind of stayed with me a little bit as well, just as a person. Um, yeah, someone who normally is kind of musical with words, kind of having that taken away and being forced to, you know, put your musical message across more viscerally. It, it, I think it does open you up. It does, it does stay with you. So it kind of became more than just a skill to learn for the character. It kind of helped shape the character, how he moves and how he carries himself. I mean, you are, you're, you're not just playing the drums, you are rocking it. Like these look like complicated <laughs> So I'm happy to imagine you, you must've gotten pretty good. You have a new skill you can add to your resume. Well, you know, it's a, the tragedy, isn't it? Is like you kind of go all out learning a skill and then you kind of have to go on to learning the next skill for the next job or whatever. And, um, and, and, and you know, so sadly I, I have not kept up my drumming abilities at all. If my drum teacher's listening, I like, like promise him, I, you know, Maybe some of those fundamentals are still there, but but yeah, we, we got to a point where we were kind of, you know, double pedaling um, and doing some quite kind of, you know, funky stuff. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I was only able to keep up with, with daily practice with an expert like Guy teaching, um, you know, similar in a way to the, to the sign language. If you don't, if you don't keep these things up every day, you, you lose them or at least they get a bit rusty, but that's not ruling out uh, the desire to pick them up again at some point, you know. So by the time you got to set, were you pretty fluent in American Sign Language? Um, I would hesitate to describe myself as fluent, but I think my, my sign instructor, Jeremy Stone, um, he, he, he did would describe me as fluent and some of the interpreters uh, did, which was, you know, incredible honor. Um, it, it was something that I just felt would be really dishonest to just be kind of learn a couple of signs and you know, everything about making this movie just felt like we had to go all in. You know, it's like you decide to do a very low budget film in four weeks with and shoot it on film. That already means you get two takes of everything. So it's a high wire act and you just kind of don't, you kind of want to just be living in it as much as possible. And so that's why the, uh, 
you know, the signing element was, was, was just felt so fundamental. Similarly to the drumming, you know, it was more than just learning a skill. It opened me up in new ways. Um, my, you know, Jeremy said to me, um, there's this trope in the deaf community that hearing people are emotionally repressed because they hide behind words. And, um, and when I first started, you know, having more complex conversations in ASL and emotional conversations, I would find myself getting really, feeling really moved and getting emotional in a way I wouldn't if I'd just been speaking. And, and he said, look, you know, when you're, when you're communicating like that, you're communicating with your whole body. You're inhabiting what you're saying. Mm. You are more connected to what you're saying. You're connecting more to the other person. It's more expressive. And so, you know, in a way, the deaf community taught me the true meaning of the word communication, you know, um, and, and how sometimes the most profound communication takes place in, in silence. And I think that's what, you know, very similar to what Ruben learns. I actually want to talk about this amazing cast you worked with. Um, the actor who plays Joe, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, so I'm going to let you say his name. <laughs> um, Paul Racy, yeah. It is Racy. Okay. Uh, Paul Racy, he is phenomenal. Um, He's incredible. And you guys have such amazing chemistry together. I don't know if that developed naturally, if that was a result of working together. Yeah, I mean, Paul is someone whose life overlaps a little bit with the character of Joe's and he's also a war veteran. He's also, um, you know, someone who's grown up in the deaf community, he's a child of deaf adults. He's been an interpreter and a kind of caretaker in that sense as a coder um, or child of deaf adults for, for many years. But he's also, I guess, um, yeah, he just, uh, you know, got, just got this very specific experience of kind of helping in, addiction circles within the deaf community so it all kind of tallied up but make no mistake the reason why he's amazing in this role isn't because he is uh you know it's him he's not playing himself it's because he's an amazing actor mm -hmm. and he just has not had a, you know the, the opportunity to show what he can do and i'm so glad the world is is gonna see this incredible actor and what he has to offer um, because his, his presence on set was just, it was just like being around an oak tree, you know, it was just so, yeah, he just anchored all of us, I think. And he was a bridge as he always is between the definitely hearing communities on set. Your scenes together are so fantastic and heartbreaking sometimes. And I, uh, I just, I, I just, I want you guys to like go do a buddy comedy next or something. I want to see you work together again and again. Oh man. Yeah. I would love to work, work with him again. And, and it, there's just a tremendous cast in, in this film, you know, that I think we all just really fed off each other. For example, um, you know, Olivia Cook is just such an incredible, incredible uh, uh, actor um, full of warmth and humor and she can just turn on a penny and uh, you know just go to such a deep place at the drop of a hat and similarly we had a lot of kind of newer actors you know um, we had the members of the, the Toledo family um, you know that their kid and playing with on a slide and um, and, and then also we had uh, Shaheen who's breakdancing the film his first acting role we had Chelsea Lee um, you know uh, whose tattoo I designed in, in the film she's you know, these are these are people that the, the film business needs to know about. Mm -hmm. And so often we overlook this incredible wealth of talent just because they don't fit some preconceived idea that we have in our head. 
but but actually these people have so much to offer not despite their deafness but because of their deafness because of their unique experience emotional experience uh perspective on life their skill set you know if someone if i can if i can have a breakthrough in embodied communication after a, you know a couple of months of learning asl imagine what someone who's been speaking it their whole life can 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 do um so you know i i hope that this is a film that kind of bridges worlds a little bit for audio for the audience but also bridges worlds a little bit for the industry absolutely uh, it's it's a fantastic cast from top to bottom were you involved at all in the casting process with Darius or did you sort of uh come in after that was all done so could you say that again you know oh were you involved at all with the casting process did you do any sort of no I was not I, I was I was not involved in the casting process that's Darius and in, in his wisdom I think he has he's an incredibly <clears throat> instinctive filmmaker and he just he he's a really rare combination of qualities in a director honestly he has this um he as i said leads with his heart and leads by example for example i think <clears throat> you know we were we felt able to go there and be very really vulnerable or, or take the risk of learning these new skills and um you know playing a real gig in front of real people um on, on camera because he kept time and again taking risks in his process. For example, he chose to shoot on film rather than digitally, which meant that we got about two or three takes on, on every setup, you know, very rarely we went to a third take, um, let alone a fourth. And, and that would have made his life easier to shoot on digital, but he just had this vision in his head and he said, no, we have to, we have to honor that vision. Um, similarly, the casting of someone like Paul Racy, you know, lots of bigger actors wanted that role, but he wanted to make it authentic. And so, uh, you know, I think Darius has just been a tremendous leader. And I think that's part of why I hope we've captured something a little bit special. Um, it's partly down to his leadership of just creating an environment of authenticity and leading with your heart. And I have to imagine this is a situation where, you know, everyone is doing this movie because they're passionate about it. They're, they're probably not doing it for the money. You mentioned it was, you know, shot in, in less than a month, I believe. Yeah, yeah. We lost it. We, we shot it in, um, in about 28 days. Um, and then we had two days in Europe at the end. Um, so it, it's, it's pretty, you know, it, it was, um, as I said, it was a challenge, but I think something I learned in the making of this film is that the challenges are often the gifts, you know, mm. the same thing that meant, okay, wow, I'm going to really have to learn the drums rather than pretend. Okay. That, that actually ended up opening me up as an actor in different new ways, physically, um, or ASL or, okay, we're only going to get a couple of takes. Okay. So you don't have time to think. You're not going to go into a take going, let me try one this way, try one this way. You go in there and you just lead from the heart and jump and take a leap of faith and trust your gut um, because you don't get another shot at it. And so I think there's something, there was an immediacy and a focus to the whole process that came about due to the time restrictions and the resource restrictions. And again, all the challenges and, and the gauntlets that I think um, that, that, that Darius kind of threw down for us, helped us to kind of ride to the occasion a little I mean, what, what is it they say? Necessity is the mother of all invention. You know, sometimes yeah. Yeah, you're, you're forced to get creative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Iranian cinema and it's kind of quite rigorous censorship laws, it's kind of forced people like Kiristami or Farah Hadi to, um, you know, 
to kind of really dig into the emotional depth of their relationships and their social dramas because you can't have exploding cars and you know flashy um zhizhi love scenes that's that's not what you're allowed to do so it, it's a it's a strange thing but often those parameters um I'll call them parameters rather than restrictions. They can be really liberating. You have played such a wide variety of roles. Um, by the way, for some reason, Four Lions has been really popular lately. Like a lot of people are discovering that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. it's funny, isn't it? Like what the life of a film is like. It's like, uh, it's like, um, yeah, you just never know. Someone once told me, you know what? This, this game is like you're waiting. I mean, this is maybe a soccer analogy is lost on some of your listeners, but you're waiting by the goal waiting for the ball to come in so you can head it head it in and the ball comes in from the other side knocks you on the back of the head and dribbles over the gold line uh you know it's like you you don't you can't see it coming you don't know which way um how things will connect with people but four lions is is you know 10 years old um this year we celebrated its 10 year anniversary and it's still one of those films that people keep discovering and it's really proud that the way it stood the test of time it holds up so well. I watched it actually at the start of the pandemic. Um, and there was part of me that I loved it so much when it came out. I was like, oh gosh, I hope it holds up. And it's it holds up perfectly. It's kind of eerie, actually. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, sadly, it's like some of those films that you wish weren't so still relevant, you know, like Four Lions or, or Lion, you know, the French film, the Cassavitz mm. film, Lion, which is about that, you know, police killing in custody. Um, and kind of social unrest in France. It's, you know, it, it's um, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because uh, you, you never know at the time what what will connect, as I said, with audiences and how it will connect. And some things meet a large audience straight away and some people kind of slow burn over a decade and they're still kind of doing the rounds. And, and frankly, I think as someone involved in the making of a film, you just hope it connects with, you know, the people who need to see it. So uh, if it's still finding audiences now, that's, yeah, that's, that's music to my ears. I am curious when, when people see you back, back when we could go out and people could see each other, um, what is it you're usually recognized for? What, what do people want to talk to you about most? Is it Nightcrawler or Venom or, <laughs> or maybe something smaller? Um, I think a lot of people are now discovering Dead Set because they're all fans of Charlie Brooker. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I think it varies, to be honest. I think it varies to where you are. I think if you're in like, I don't know, uh, America, um, walking down the street, it might be more likely to be the night of. Um, I think amongst younger kids, they're more like, oh, Venom or Star Wars, you know? Um, and if I'm, I don't know, if I'm in East London and I don't know, the London equivalent of Williamsburg, then people are like, yeah, Four Lions, you know, it's one of my favorite movies. So it's, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, but I have to say, like, I, you know, go about most of my day, uh, you know, totally uh, unrecognized and, and happy. And and, um, and if I do get recognized, you know, once or twice a day, it's usually just a, a lovely little point of connection with a stranger who just kind of gives you a bit of positivity and encouragement. So I'm always, I'm always grateful for it. I kind of feel like I haven't done those kind of just like, a string of projects that are so huge that everyone just kind of passively knows about them without connecting to them. I feel like I've been lucky and that the work I've done is stuff that if people connect to it, it, it's kind of meant something to them. And so it's not so much like, Hey, it's that dude from that thing, get a photo. It's like people want to go, Hey, can I have a chat with you? This, this thing meant something to me. And that's a lovely feeling. You know, that's, 
it's a surreal it's, it's, it's uh, something I'm very grateful for you know you have so many amazing roles it didn't even occur to me to mention Rogue One which of course that, that's a that's a whole other world of recognition people people love the Star mm. Wars movies for good reason right, right. yeah <laughs> um and what does it feel like to have a test named after you? We have something called the Riz Test. That's that's a very unique oh, yes. honor. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that I was really, um, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see, to be honest. I mean, I think, um, so a kind of couple of academics based out of the UK who were doing research into the representation of Muslims in film and television kind of came across my, um, my speech that I gave in parliament in the UK about the importance of representation at point importance of people feeling seen and heard and having an ownership over cultural production and um and uh and i think they were kind of inspired to then create a five-point test similar to the bechdel test which kind of talks about you know how women are represented on screen except for muslims and so they created this thing called uh, the riz test which i think has kind of you know caught, caught some uh some people's uh, attention and um and it's really interesting, actually, you know, when you kind of apply it to different films, like what comes up and it, it is very useful, but like any kind of powerful tool or microscope, it reveals the amount of work there still mm -hmm. is to be done. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Um, obviously, uh, uh, representation is something that's important to you. It's something that matters. Um, just, to, just to go back once again, you're the first Asian male to win an acting Emmy Award, which is really cool, but also kind of shocking. Um, to me, um, right. and you've, you're really, um, successful at combining art and activism, obviously with your music, um, and even in your films, I feel, uh, is that something that attracts you to roles? Um, or it, it obviously doesn't always have to be the case, mm -hmm. but is you know, that it's interesting because, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've certainly spoken out about certain things at different times, but. I haven't ever seen it as a kind of like capital A activism. You know, I wouldn't want to denigrate the work that real full-time activists and organizers do. I just kind of think that, um, you know, and I've said this before, I think when you're born into a certain body or a certain, in a certain time and certain place, then the mere act of your existence or breathing or, um, you know, seeking uh, kind of the dignity other people might take for granted sometimes seen as a subversive or political act mm -hmm. because um, you walking, you know, with your head held high or you talking about your experiences or you talking about the conflicts in, in your life or your identity or how the world might interact with you. And that might be seen as very normal coming out of some people's mouths and, you know, some people's pens. But you know, as I said, if you're, if you're from a certain group um, or thought to be part of a certain group, then then doing these things suddenly becomes subversive and is seen of as, as kind of activism. So I guess, you know, I, I don't kind of think about like what is, um, you know, what's the activist role to choose? I kind of think like, what's the thing that I'm connecting to? What's the thing that, um, how can I share a part of my experience, you know? And often when I share a part of my experience, it's perhaps um, a story or a point of view that is underseen and underheard and that feels subversive that feels like it's maybe challenging dominant narratives just by existing and then suddenly feels like activism so it's, it's a curious kind of thing where actually just the search for artistic authenticity and you know um kind of personal expression 
kind of ends up becoming a political act just by dint of its rarity if you come from certain groups. I mean, I think even just, uh, you know, sort of telling your own stories or, or things that happen. Uh, the first time we met, you told me an amazing story that I remember to this day about um, trying to get on a plane and uh, I believe they searched you and you got on the plane and you were on the cover of the in-flight magazine and <laughs> the night of was playing on the TV and you were like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the line you used was even before I was on the plane, I was on the plane. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because, it, it, you know, I do think that there's obviously something kind of sad in that, but I also think it can be a helpful reminder, at least for me, in that, you know, there's, you know, your individual success doesn't insulate you from um, structural inequalities. And it's good to be reminded of that, mm -hmm. um, quite frankly. And again, not because that then informs the roles I choose, but it is something that kind of, I guess, how can I put this? It does feel like a bit of a jet fuel for me. It is an animating force for me, the, the, the knowledge that, you know, work that, uh, I may do may resonate beyond just entertainment because of its repercussions in representation or maybe stretching culture, you know, just playing a character like Ruben, it isn't something you see someone who looks like me doing very often. And so it, that, that can be, that, that's something that can be very motivating. I would say it's more my, my fuel, but it's not my GPS. It's not the thing that guides me. I try and guide my choices from my creative curiosity, but when I'm kind of losing faith in my own, skills or my own ability uh, i think that something that does animate me is realizing that you know if i'm lucky i can make a tiny incremental contribution towards you know stretching culture as all of us can mm -hmm. you know if we if we kind of um put ourselves out there and what's up next for you i know you you wrote and starred in a movie um that i'm hoping we can see soon yeah, so uh, Mogul Mowgli is something that I co-wrote with Basam Tariq, who's an amazing um, new filmmaker. He, he won um, a Sundance Award for his a short documentary, made another documentary before that, which is just just an incredible bracing film called These Birds Walk. And um, he's really one to watch. And 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 we, we put this film together that's, uh, in a way, yeah, again, very personal. You know, I think uh, The Sound of Metal has kind of encouraged me to kind of um, create from a more personal place. Um, you know, the music that I've just put out, Once Kings, is is a track that is, again, probably the most personal piece of music I've ever made, um, that I've ever written. And, and that's connected to this film that I've made with Bassam. The film's called Mogul Mowgli. And I don't want to say too much about it. There's a trailer online. Maybe people will be interested to check it out. Um, but it goes back to what you were saying, Janelle, about kind of telling your story, uh, telling your story and speaking your truth and, and the power in that. Um, and, and so it's been being received really wonderfully in the UK. And hopefully once theaters reopen and stuff and we, we get out the other side of this, this, uh, this you know, horrible situation that we're in in the States, um, we'll be able to kind of share it with American audiences as well in, in theaters. And then we need to get a season three of the OA. Um, <laughs> I know, oh, I know that they've said there yeah. won't be, but uh, I, I need to, I need to see that story continued. 
Yeah, I mean, Brit and Zell are just such amazing creators. They're just some of the smartest people I've ever met in this business or in, in life, really. You know, if you even read Brit's article in the New York Times, um, maybe about a year ago or so about about how even the way that we think of story and teach story and the hero's journey is kind of based around the male orgasm, you know, and build up and climax and then denouement. Um, uh, you know, they're just people, just really deep thinkers and true artists who take bold risks. And I just can't wait to see what they do next. I know that OA or no OA, they will, they will, they will continue to push boundaries. Um, did they tell you how uh, the story was going to end? Or was that all kept secretive from you too? That was all top secret. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and then the way it ended with season two, like, oh, it's such a cruel tease to not have a season three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Such is life. Oh, it's so true. Um, and before we go, we always just do sort of a speed round that we call the award circuit five. Um, mm -hmm. Just sort of the first thing that pops into your mind when I ask you these questions. Um, first up, what's your most prized possession? My most prized possession is probably, you know, probably like a t-shirt from uh from like a play that i did at university or something you know i think we did a clockwork orange and i played one of the droogs and it was like a hoodie that we all had made up from that experience you know it's just something with that kind of sentimental value where, where i was just like you know, you know it just reminds me of like why i love doing this which is about the, as much about the camaraderie and the connection with like a cast and crew of people um as much as they're kind of performing yeah, maybe something like that. That's so cool. You did Clockwork Orange. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a super violent droog. Um, yeah, just running around causing mayhem on the stage at a university. Yeah. Uh, where is your favorite place in the world to be? My favorite place in the world to be, I think, I think is like walking through central London, you know, mm. Soho on like a summer's day. And just feeling the buzz and the energy um, of that place, really kind of anywhere in London, or you know, walking down uh, Labrook Grove in West London, or or even like you know, uh, or, you know, outside Ealing Road, like in the neighbourhood where I grew up in, outside the the church that's converted to a mosque opposite the, you know, the South Indian barn shop. Um, I think there's just such a such an energy in London, particularly in the summer, because you don't get a ton of sun. When the sun comes out, everyone comes out, and it's just like a, yeah, it's just it's just buzzing. So I think London, uh, in the city, in the summer. And who are some of the inspirations you had growing up who inspired you to be the artist you are today, personal or professional? Um, I mean, I think of. Um, a couple of people that we actually lost over this last year that were really inspiring that maybe, you know, deserve, um, you know, to be, to be recognized by all of us. And one of them is actually Chadwick Boseman, you know, mm -hmm. someone who I didn't grow up obviously um, looking up to him or anything like that. I think we were both very similar ages, but he's someone who as his career has kind of came to fruition after such a long journey, I think just held themselves with such kind of dignity and such a moral compass so particular about his choices and so clear eyed about what um, 
what success means and how you need to define success on your own terms, um, how success is tied in with you fulfilling your purpose um, rather than kind of meeting external expectations um, of what it looks like. And uh, I don't know, I think that's, I think he's, some of his words and some of his work will really live on for a generation of people. And, and I think someone who I've kind of, you know, have watched on screen for many, many years, who we lost this year also is Irfan Khan. And um, I think that he's just, we're just a towering talent um, who, whose work will live on for so many. And, and I think about some of his, some of his wise words actually about acting, but also about life um, where he said, you know, surrender to the dance of uncertainty. And I think that's just such a profoundly uh, wise kind of statement. And I think it, I try and let those words guide me as an artist and, and also in, in how I live. So often we try and cling on to the illusion of control, but it, but it is just an illusion. Mm. And in the midst of all the uncertainty and damn, we live in uncertain times right now, somehow we, we can still keep dancing, you know, if we can, if we can meet the rhythm of the moment. And, and I, I don't know, I just think that he's someone who just drew from such a deep, deep well, um, that his work will live on. Uh, is there a dream role that you're dying to play? Well, I guess there's certain roles that um, I've been trying to kind of put together for a while. And one of them is Hamlet. Um, I've just always really loved that play. Um, it's actually something to do with the way that I was taught it at school by a teacher I had who kind of saw me kind of going off the rails a little bit and really kind of, I don't know, I just really connected with this play, the way that he taught it. His name was Mr. Roseblade and um, and something about, I think, those canonical, you know, works in the English language really lend themselves to kind of contemporary, um, to contemporary adaptations set in more multicultural communities. You know, the idea of there being a ghost that's in purgatory that won't rest. Um, the idea of Ophelia not being able to marry into the right caste and how that might affect the family. Um, you know, these are these are things that are kind of very much alive and kicking in, you know, Wembley in 2020 or whatever. Um, and, and so, yeah, Hamlet is is a project that I think we've, I've been put, you know, been working on that for for many many years. And I hope um, over the next year or two, you know, seeing depending on what this lockdown Corona looks like, that that will be something I'll be able to put up on its feet. Do you want to do it on stage or on screen? Or no, that's going to be a screen adaptation. It's going to be a, a contemporary uh, film adaptation of, Helm, of Hamlet. Amazing. Um, and finally, your own work aside, what's your favorite album? My favorite album is probably um, Black on Both Sides by Most Def. He's another person who I think has always been a massive inspiration to me, or Yasin Bey, as he's now known. Um, I think he's there's just a kind of genre-bending quality to that album it just defies categorization and um and i know that's just always appealed to me is kind of chameleonism um in in how he expresses himself but it's just always still unmistakably him in how honest and authentic he, he is in, in what he writes um so i don't know i think that's a that's a really special one and, and it's one that i keep discovering new new things on like re-listening to the track love i'm now recognizing quotes from bell hooks and and uh, her book on love you know um works i hadn't read at the time as a teenager now i'm revisiting that album and getting more and more from it amazing well we have some great recommendations now 
Um, <laughs> and of course, I want to remind everyone to see Sound of Metal when it comes out on Amazon. Um, is such a great film. Um, you're so fantastic in it. It's uh, it's it's such a treat, really. Thank you so much. You know, really, really appreciate it. I'm really glad you liked it. Sound of Metal goes into limited release on November 20th and will be available to stream on Amazon Prime starting December 4th. On our very first episode of Variety's Award Circuit podcast, we spoke to on the rock star Rashida Jones, who plays Laura, a woman who suspects her husband is cheating on her. Bill Murray also stars as her father, a ladies' man who wants to help uncover those infidelities. Now, Variety's Jazz Tankay talks to the movie's writer and director, Sofia Coppola, about On the Rocks, including working with Jones and reuniting with her Lost in Translation star, Murray. Jazz began by asking Coppola about what inspired her to write On the Rocks, specifically the father-daughter relationship at the heart of the film. To me, it's such a um, unique dynamic and looking at kind of relationships between men and women of different generations, but through the aspect of it being your your father, a father and a daughter, um, so that there could be, you know, so many clashing perspectives, but also affection and and kind of how you how you deal deal with all of that. And and also thinking about in our own relationships how how that's impacted, you know, the the partnerships that families that you make for yourself so I thought there was oh there was a lot there and it's such a it can be such a complicated um and you know uh love-filled relationship and how to how to, you know how to look at that and I thought I was thinking it'd be fun to see a father-daughter buddy story because I feel like I haven't seen that and these characters that, that clash but then have a fun and tenderness yeah and one of the best buddy moments in the film is when Felix, played by Bill Murray, and Laura, played by Rashida Jones, they go on that car chase following Dean, thinking he's going to, you know, just trying to see where he's going. Um, talk about writing that scene and then filming this great car chase scene through Manhattan in the middle of the night. I just thought her life, she's kind of in a rut. And then, of course, he would reason and 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 pick a, you know, show up in an alpha convertible as his like incognito car, something that that character would do. And I, I have memories of driving through New York with Bill, um, you know, with his sunroof open. And when we were filming that, he he took me on a, like a joy ride around Soho out of the zone we were supposed to be in. And so there's sort of that fun of um, speeding around New York. And um, yeah, and I just thought it was so, kind of just the ridiculousness of him spying with the binoculars. And obviously he's so excited to spend time with her and he's got, you know, he's got caviar snacks and he's all set and just his excitement and, um, and for her, you know, in such a structured life to kind of be sh shaken up. And so hopefully it's, you know, a little the idea was he takes her on a little adventure and, and shakes her up a little. Yeah, how much fun was that scene to write for you? Um, it was fun because it was so kind of ridiculous and, and to push myself to do something more, uh, you know, kind of silly and, and fun. And, and he's such a character that it's fun to imagine how he would approach everything in life. Yeah. 
Um, so you and Rashida, actually, you know, you've been friends for a while. Um, talk about writing the script. Like, did you write it with her in mind or like, you know, and did you write Felix with, at what point did you write, did Bill Murray come into the writing process? Yeah, I started um, just with these characters in mind and I could, you know, relate to, she was based on what I was thinking about at that moment, although not in my married life, just about, you know, working and being a writer with little kids and stuff. Um, and, but then the more I, I, I've always shied away with about working with Bill again, because I, I, um, I felt like I, I could never deliver because people loved him so much and lost in translation. But I, um, but then I started thinking about how, how much he would bring to this character. And then I started thinking about him writing it. And um, and I have a picture of us at a, at a film festival with him in a tuxedo and we're holding martini glasses. And that was on my bulletin board as an inspiration. But I, I just knew that he would bring so much heart to the character. So um, I, and I just, and I thought we hadn't ever seen him as a father before and for him to express that side would be unique and he's just such a unique treasure that I wanted to um, get to work with him again after all these years. And and then I was picturing Rashida. Um, I, we shot a short scene in this Christmas special that we had done. So I saw them together and I knew that they had this, this great banter and chemistry. And so it helped me to think about how she would react to him as the, the straight man and, um, and, and just what her, you know, just her intelligence as a counterpoint to, to him and his feistiness. So it helped me a lot to start to think about them. You talked about like, you know, how you liked pushing yourself as a writer, you know, to do, you know, this comedy, the comedy aspect, like how, uh, talk about like the challenge that it gave you whilst writing. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, the biggest challenge was writing so much dialogue. I've never written something that was dialogue driven and there were scenes with just the two of them in a restaurant, you know, eight pages of dialogue. And I was talking to the great Buck Henry when I was starting to think about this idea and he really put the challenge in my head saying, write, write dialogue for once. I was like, I'll try. And yeah, it was really, it's always, you know, hard to do something you haven't done before, but I really enjoyed thinking about how to tell a story in a different way than I'm that I'm used to. And, and it was fun just to imagine these conversations between them. And um, and Felix is such a fun character to, to get into his his voice. Um, and, and also to find the tone, you know, that I wanted it to be fun and funny, but also there's these more, you know, tender, ser serious, heartfelt moments of emotion. And so how to balance the tone to go back and forth, which is always, you know, a little tricky and um, and then you find that in the in the editing room too. Yeah, talk about working with your editor because I love the way this was cut. And also, I mean, you know, we're talking about editing. Just the scene where we where you introduce Felix and he drives up in the Mercedes and it rolls down, and it was this incredible moment. So talk about uh, that's great. Yeah, he had to have a big entrance because it's Bill Murray and it's Felix, and uh, yeah, I love that he makes a. He makes a dramatic entrance, um, and um, and I love working with Sarah Flack, my editor. We've worked um, together since my second film, and and she's so great to work with. And we, um, but it was it was challenging having these big dialogue scenes, and then really shifting um, the tone 
back and forth from from it being you know silly and and then more um you know serious yeah and and then they go to mexico we won't say why but there's this great moment in mexico um talk about you know i the dress she wears is is incredible like it just stands out against that pink background of the room talk about the costume design and you know landing on that dress the yellow oh that's great you know we had a um Anne Ross, the production designer, had a reference from Contempt with Bridget Bardot in yellow on some rocks. And so that became our inspiration. But also Stacey Batat, the costume designer, um, does such a great job with, uh, you know, contemporary doing something realistic, but that also, you know, we also want it to be better than real life, but still relatable and beautiful. And, um, and, and I love how Rashida's character transforms and she's in an old t-shirt and then as as she starts to kind of character comes back to life she she's more in these in colors yeah. and, and and she transforms so it's it's always really subtle but I think all those clues help tell the story and how the character transforms and I love how Mexico is so bright and such a contrast to New York City yeah I love that transformation of her clothing. Like she's got the Run DMC, the BC Boys t-shirts at home. And then when she's out with her dad, she's like got, she's dressed up a little bit. And then, as you said, you know, she gets yeah, her. Yeah, I think Felix kind of reminds her of her other side outside of her home life and that she maybe kind of forgot about. And that she, he makes her dress up to go out for her birthday. And, and the idea is that, you know, she kind of reconnects to her, her spark at the end that she needed to be reminded of. Yeah. What was your favorite scene to shoot? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like the whole time you're just worried about getting all the the pieces, but I I think we really had fun when we were shooting the scene at the cocktail party with Bill and Rashida and and the the scene right before where he says that they're going to Manzanillo and Bill was like, he just seems like a spy or something. He was making me laugh so much during that scene. And then when the sneaking out of the party walking backwards the, the two of them are really in a um in a kind of fun fun mode at that point and then i think it's sweet when they look at the painting together and they they share this moment so it, it was just it was always fun to have the two of them on set and that they really enjoy each other and had a fun banter yeah and it kind of harkens back to like you know the screwball comedies of like the 1940s and and then you know like the manhattan of like the 80s okay. um like what what were some of your visual references if you had any yeah i was definitely thinking about i love the thin man movies where they're drinking martinis and solving mysteries and and those old screwball comedies like um i think it's like the awful truth and my favorite wife there's always like some misunderstanding and a lot of them are always about like the husband and the secretary and there's definitely things drawn from from that and then I I love the movies that we grew up with like Tootsie which were these like sophisticated New York comedies that and I was just kind of missing that because I feel like we haven't had that that style of comedy lately and you know sort of in the tradition of romantic comedies that are you know sweet and fun and hopefully not sappy yeah exactly that's what that's what's been missing which is why it was like the perfect movie to watch during this time whilst we were all in quarantine um the film has 
been released on Apple TV Plus. Like, talk about partnering with them and releasing it that way, especially as a filmmaker, when there's a conversation about cinema and that experience. But it was just ideal to watch. Yeah, I feel so lucky that we partnered with them with A24 and Apple. And, um, you know, I was hoping that would be the best of both to have theater experience and then um, and then with Apple getting it into, into everyone's homes, which just turned, it just worked out really well during the pandemic. I think I'm glad that people can, can and watch it at home. And it, I feel like it's a kind of cozy movie that you can see at home. It's not a big epic you see, need to see on a big screen. So I hope it's, yeah, that's something that you can, be cozy at home with and and enjoy but i i still i still love the the communal aspect of seeing a movie in a theater and feeling emotions together with people so i miss that and and hope that you know we'll have that not too far off but at this time i think one of the things i really enjoyed during this time at home is, is watching movies and um some a lot of people are yeah, yeah can enjoy it at home and yeah. and that apple really got it out there what was it like having a virtual premiere for the New York Film Festival, like the drive-in? Oh yeah, that was, it was really fun. I, um, I you know, I, I thought it was, I was really touched that they made the effort to do something and not, you know, just a Zoom, but that they organized that. And um, it was really sweet to hear people honking and, and to watch it in a car with Bill and Rashida. It was the first time we ever watched it together. And uh, I was impressed that like you could really hear the sound mix on the car radio, and at one point we were trying to like clean our windshield so they could see the view better. But it it was sweet. It was really a nice a nice memory, and it was more you know fun than I expected. But it's always fun with Bill and Rashida around. Yeah, and and it's satisfying to see your work all come together with you know with all the elements after it's all done. Yeah. And next up, you're working on uh, the TV. You're working on a TV series, Custom of the Country, right? Um, so, what can you tell us about that? And what's that? What's it like writing for TV instead of movie? Yeah, I'm adapting this great Edith Wharton book that I loved. It was actually written in five parts. It was serialized in a magazine, so I thought um, it would lend itself really well to do a five-part um, mini-series. Or limited series. I, I still think of miniseries because that was such a glamorous thing in the mm-hmm. eight. Um, so yeah, I'm excited because you would never be able to fit the story into the length of a film, and um, and it has a little bit of like a soap opera aspect, which I love. And it's it's the Gilded Age of New York, the early 1900s, so it has beauty and glamour and, and really great characters. So um, yeah, I'm excited to to delve into that. Incredible. Well, Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Variety's Award Circuit podcast. So, you know, thank you for the On the Rocks conversation too. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. On the Rocks is currently streaming on Apple TV+. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Preston Northup edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Clayton Davis, Jazz Tanke, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. We'll see you on the circuit.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.